Hey friends, good to see you. As Whitney said, we're going to uh, resume Sunday school for the first time since uh, who, who knows how long. It's one of my favorite things I get to do every week is uh, to spend time with you guys in Sunday school. And we haven't done it for months. And so I'm really excited we get to do it. So do stick around. Um, we'll be immediately after the service. Um, and what we're going to do, we, we've been walking through Ephesians. But honestly, we're just kind of water skiing through it. It's such a, we're just kind of hitting, you know, quick, quick pitches. And there's so much depth to that. That we're going to spend a couple of weeks with kind of a Q&A time on Ephesians. So I'll kind of have a, a, some guidance to set us up. But if there's anything about election, about the most, pro, one of the most profound statements of the gospel, the vertical horizontal reconciliation united with horizontal reconciliation, or uh, the roles of husbands and wives, which we totally skipped over. Spiritual warfare, which we're about to get into today. If you'd like to go a little bit deeper on any of those things, then stick around. And we'll probably spend just a couple weeks, two or three weeks maybe, on Ephesians. And then we'll do something else. And I don't know what, but it'll be great. So do stick around. We're, we're glad to have you. Um, but this morning we'll be in Ephesians 6, which Whitney read to you. You might want to find that. Um, I went to a, a meeting once where the floor was covered with bear traps. They kind of, you know, you kind of like you pry them open and they got these like either bands that like snap shut and like grab the leg or worse still, they have the big teeth that just kind of bite into the flesh of whoever's misfortunate enough to step in one. And there's about maybe 15 of them scattered on the floor and it was a father and son gathering. And if you looked, if you kind of stood in the right place, you could see they weren't just haphazardly placed. There was actually like a, a path that walked you through this a kind of a wide, somewhat winding, kind of narrow, but passable pathway you could come through. And the traps were all set and they were open. And a pair, a father and son pair was invited to come up front. And the son was blindfolded and invited to navigate his way through this path between the bear traps. And it's one of these things you're watching it and you're just like, don't do it, kid, right? I don't care how, much, how smart you are, just don't do it. And of course, he declined, at which point his father was invited to join him on the path without a blindfold and to guide him cautious step by cautious step through this path. And the point, of course, was to, was to create the impression to, to draw to mind the reality that for a young man growing up in the world, it's a world filled with perils. It's a dangerous world. I once heard that growing up without a father is like descending a spiral staircase without a handrail in the dark. That impression, right, of this idea of, man, it is a scary world and we need someone to guide us. We need someone to protect us. That is the impression of this passage here from Ephesians 6. That's what Paul's going after. Listen again to what he says in just kind of the, part of the first part of this, starting in verse 10, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What Paul is saying is there are bear traps. There is actually, in fact, a scheming devil. There are rulers and authorities. There are cosmic powers. There are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And if you don't suit up, if you're not properly defended, you're going to get crushed. Now, throughout this letter, Paul has been advocating for this vision of the world. And we've been talking about it, right? That 
that we are so radically and deeply loved that we are empowered, motivated, enabled to love God and to love others, right? That we are meant to be a multi-ethnic community of people living holy lives in adoration of him. And what Paul is saying in Ephesians 6 is that that vision is threatened. It's threatened by an unseen enemy. Not just unseen, but in many cases unbelieved in. You might not be aware, you might not even think it's true. Um, But he's saying that there is an invisible unseen world that affects this one, that impacts you. Um, If you're my age or older, you might remember Frank Peretti's books. Did anybody read Pierce in the Darkness, This Present Darkness, and whatever else he wrote? When, When I was in college, these books were a big deal. They're fictional novels that very vividly depict um, a spiritual unseen world that impacts this one. There's angels and demons and battles and there's stories, right? It's a fiction, um, but they're, they're good stories. Um, and while I don't know precisely how accurate Peretti's imagination about this might be, they impacted me um, to open my eyes to see when I was, you know, like 18 years old to the fact that there is a spiritual world. There's more to this world than meets the eye. I'm going to read you kind of the opening of his book. Um, Here's how it starts. It says, Late on a full moon Sunday night, two figures in work clothes appeared on Highway 27 just outside the small town of Ashton, College Town. They were tall, at least seven feet, strongly built, perfectly proportioned. One was dark-haired and sharp-featured, the other blonde and powerful. And then I'm skipping ahead. They walk into this town. They go into this carnival. And the two visitors made their way slowly through the people-packed carnival, listening to the talk, watching the activity, They were looking for someone. There, said the dark-haired man. They both saw her. She was young, very pretty, but also very unsettled, looking this way and that, a camera in her hands, and a stiff-lipped expression on her face. The two men hurried through the crowd and stood beside her. She didn't notice them. You know, the dark-haired one said to her, you might try looking over there. And though she didn't hear him, with that simple comment, he guided her toward one particular booth on the midway. She stepped through the grass and the candy wrappers until she saw shadows moving stealthily behind the booth. She held her camera ready, took a few more silent, careful steps, and then quickly raised the camera to her eye. The flash of the bulb lit up the trees behind the booth as the two men hurried away to their next appointment. And with that opening, we get it. we're invited to see this invisible world that she'd never heard him, but she heard him. There was an influence. There was a shaping. These are good guys, but there's a lot of bad guys in the book. And Peretti makes the case that there is another world that's influencing us, although we may not be directly conscious of it. Now, if you're skeptical of that claim, you're like, ah, it just sounds hocus-pocus, and that's kind of weird. That's cool. I mean, you know, live your life. However... This is a common theme in Paul's letters. And if you were to dismiss the entire concept that there are angels and demons in a spiritual world, you would have to cut out a surprising amount of your Bible. There is an invisible world and it does impact us. And I think we would do well to recognize it. Even earlier in this book, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said that before we knew Christ, we all, quote, followed the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's arguing that there are real, non-human persons who are evil and who influence the world and whom, in fact, we followed and many still do. And he goes on to make the case that they are the real enemy. It might seem like it's somebody else, 
somebody that lives next door to you, somebody that you go to work, somebody whose bumper stickers you don't like. But he says there is another enemy. Listen to what he says about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is verse 3. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Meaning we're like physical embodied people, but there's more than the physical embodied life. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but rather they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Hold on to that word strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Okay, there's a really important insight here in verse 5 that I want to draw your attention to. Not merely his affirmation that there's more to the world than the fleshly and the spiritual, but he's drawing attention to Satan's greatest weapon. I wonder, do you know what it is? Do you know what his primary tool is that he wields with enormous impact? You can murmur it as loud as you can through your masks. What's, what's his weapon? Do you know? Doubt? Say it. Okay, pride I would say is the greatest sin, but I think I'm hearing it. It rhymes with pride. Lies, 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 lies. Jesus said when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In, in Colossians 2, Paul refers to this weapon as deceptive philosophies, which is to say lies, okay? You guys, he doesn't have power over cancer. He can't just like make your, your roof collapse in. He doesn't have that kind of capacity, but he can and does all day long whisper to you. His power is the lie. It's as simple as that. When he lies, he speaks his native language. And sometimes it just boggles my mind the lies that he gets away with and the lunacy of the things that we believe once we're kind of like under that spell. Sometimes it's the same old lie that he's been dragging out for generations and centuries. Um, one of his old favorites seems to be to deny the personhood of persons, right? That was the undergirding lie of slavery, that they're not really people. And if people aren't people, then you can do whatever you want to them. It's the same lie that undergirds abortion today. Both deny the personhood of persons. It seems that he also loves to lie about joy. He loves to sow hopelessness and despair to make a situation look worse than it is. I would have to confess that I am a sucker for that. It is one of the kind of pervading realities in my life that if we are losing in the third inning, I'm like, well, we're dead. It's over, right? And it's not true, but it seems true to me. And I have to be very conscious to fight against hopelessness. He lies incessantly about sex and about gender. He must be just giddy at what he's gotten away with. This seems to have been, at least for the last 50, 100 years in our culture, a place where he has really decided to spend an awful lot of energy. He must, I don't know if he's just pinching himself, that he has persuaded millions of people that if you remove authentic body parts and replace them with artificial ones, then you change the nature of a person. You guys, you would have to walk in vain through millennia of centuries of human history to find anybody that believed that. And yet today, there are millions who believe it, and not only that, but they think it's absurd if you don't. Lies are powerful. 
but of greater concern than any of those, I think, to me, are the lies that he has convinced me of that I still don't know are lies. And I'm sure that there are many. That's what scares me. When I, sometimes I'll watch people and I'll see them believe things and I'm like, how on earth do you think that's true? And it always frightens me to think, oh, dear me, what is it that I believe that somebody else can see? But the hook is in too deep and I just don't see it. Lies are powerful, you guys. They are his primary weapon and none of us are immune to it. And it's because we're not immune to it that we have been given this protection, this armor that Paul really wants to talk about. Now, in discussing the protection, he uses the metaphor of armor, all right? And he specifically mentions a belt and a breastplate, shoes, a shield, and a sword, and a helmet. And it strikes me as noteworthy that if Satan's primary weapon is lying, if his primary go-to is to say things that aren't true, then it should be the case that our, our our protection against these deceptive philosophies, these false thoughts, must have something to do with the truth, right? Something's going to help us to defeat the lies, to recognize them as lies, to be protected from believing them, and to replace them with truth. And that's precisely what we find, okay? Well, this, this armor includes the belt of truth. It includes the shield of faith, with which, specifically, we extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. His arrows, his weapons, are lies. He's launching these lies that sometimes land. And again, you might be susceptible to a particular sort of lie, just as I am susceptible to particular sorts of lies. He also gives us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I'll show you about this in a second. But the Word of God is, in, Paul, in this context, is chiefly the source of truth with which we combat those lies. We replace the lies in our belief system with things that are accurate. You guys, his power is in his ability to deceive. And he is lying to you all the time. And if you're going to be protected, you need to suit up. Now, I, wanna, I have a quick little illustration for you. I'm literally a picture here um, that should show up online. I hope it does for you guys at home too. Um, just to make this, I hope, practical and actually actionable for you. Okay? So, uh, I don't know. Can you see that? Is that too dim? Can you see that Okay. Is that all right? I don't know if we can, Brian, if we can maybe darken that. Oh, that'll, that'll ruin the videos probably. Well, who knows? But what you have there, that's your brain, all right? So you have little white T's and little red lies, and the T's stand for, can you guess? Truth. You guys are so smart. And the L's? Lies. Okay. So you believe things that are true. So good on you, all right? Well done. But you also believe things that are not true. This is the human experience, and some of these lies are in pretty deep. And so in this reality here, God has given us this protection, right? So this is why he gives us this armor to protect us. And in particular, he's going to give us the shield of faith. So let's go up a couple slides here. So right here, these red arrows, this is the word of man. It is the lies of the enemy all the time. You're hearing things. Now, sometimes the source of that is going to be coming from various forms of media whether it's a movie or a TV show or a book that is framing for you, this is how the world looks. This is what love looks like. This is how you ought to respond in this situation. This is how you should think about this moral issue. I don't know if you know it or not, but do you know that Hollywood is filled with lobbying agencies 
who are there to specifically advocate for one worldview or another. This is not accidental storytelling. There is a concerted effort to persuade you of something. And some of the things that they would like to persuade you of, I would probably agree, are good. And some of them are bad. But there is a campaign at work at all times to shape the way you think. And it is influenced undoubtedly by personal evil that wants to destroy your life. There are lies that are coming in. So these arrows are coming in. And so we need to protect ourselves. So we give us this, this armor, right? So now we're going to try to create some kind of thicker thing around us. And in particular, the shield of faith. When Paul talks about we're given this shield of faith, some of those lies can be convincing, right? Some of them can be really um, persuasive. And what we need to do is have the shield um, that's going to like bounce off these arrows. Josh, do we have my shield up there, bro? Yeah, here we go. So... What we want to do is find some way that we're going to say, I'm not going to go down that path. I'm not going to let those lies in. I'm not going to shape my life. But the trick is, of course, that a lot of those lies have already gotten in. And so we need the truth, which we're going to find in his word. And so a huge part of the rest of your life is to be this, that we spend time in the Bible, in the scriptures, learning the things that are true. And in particular, specific ways targeting the lies that we believe. So right here, what we've done is we've got one of these lies and we scribble it out and replace it with truth. Romans 12 talks about it like this. It says that we must not be conformed to the pattern of this world that is continuing to believe the lies that we're told, but instead we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. For me, if you, are, if you happen to have my own disorder and you are given to a pessimism, a hopelessness, to say like it's bad and it's not going to get any better, then it would be good, it would be wise for you to specifically memorize scripture that contradicts that lie. That you begin, you do the work daily, weekly, over time to rewire your mind, to memorize his promises that give hope, to memorize the things that specifically address whatever you're struggling with. If you, if you find that you have been just inundated by the world's view of money, Memorize what he says about money. Read, study, deepen into your soul. Deuteronomy 8 or 1 Timothy 6 or Hebrews 13. There's any, any number of places you can go. And in fact, if you specifically want passages, I, can, I might be able to suggest some to you. If you're struggling with the world's images of sex and sexuality, have just you can tell something's off, something has corrupted your thinking, then uh, read and study what has he said and let the truth that he says about sex and sexuality begin to replace the lies that you believe. Now one really critical step in this whole thing, you guys, is to become conscious that it's even happening. Pay attention, watch your life. What are the things that, are there grooves that your mind just falls back into? Are there lies that you've been told about your marriage or about your children, about your employer, about where joy is found? That you just, man, you just fall back into this and you've got to crawl your way back out. By becoming aware of it, you could say in truth what Paul says, that we're not unaware of his schemes. I think the reality is a great deal of the time we're altogether unaware of his schemes. I don't know if you guys have paid attention to what's going on in the world today, but would you say that the state of the world at this moment is something that Satan might be very pleased by? the dissension, the mistrust, the suspicion, the, the antagonism, the unwillingness to listen to one another, 
the eagerness to argue your point, but to never listen and consider. Does somebody else have something to say? The unwillingness to accept steps towards good that aren't 17 steps towards what you think is perfect. There is so much of this happening right now. And so what we need to do, Josh, is we need to replace another lie and another lie. We need to click through, click through, click through. The world is going to have its field day on this. We need to be the people that know that there is a game afoot. And it is crucial that we, with humility and grace, believe the truth, know the truth, and protect ourselves from the lies that we're constantly being fed all day long. Okay, one more thing, very briefly, and then, I'll let you, and then I'm going to step down. All this armor that Paul's talking about, this language, this metaphor that he's using, he's not making it up. This wasn't an original idea with him. Everything that he's saying, he's drawing from the book of Isaiah. Okay, so Isaiah is a prophet who wrote like 700 years before Christ. And really what Paul has done is he's smashed together three passages, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 52, and Isaiah 59. Some would say Isaiah 49, maybe, but I don't think so. But 11, 52, and 59, here's what they say. It says, he put on righteousness as a breastplate, the helmet of salvation on his head. He shall be girded with righteousness around the waist and bound with truth around the sides. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news. Okay? This is what Paul is saying. Paul is taking Isaiah eleven fifty two and 59 and, saying, and applying it to us. But here's the kicker. Do you guys know who the he is in every passage that he's quoting? It ain't you, okay? It, every one of these is explicitly about the Messiah. Here's how, the first one, Isaiah 11, here begins like this. You might recognize it. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. That's David's father. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Branch is one of the great messianic images. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding of counsel and power. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, and with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Isaiah 11 is not about you, it's about the Messiah. The same thing for 52 and 59. I don't have time to walk you through those. But you guys, what you need to grasp from that is this is Jesus' armor. It's not yours, it's his. It is not a breastplate of your righteousness. What good would that do? It's his righteousness. He has taken off our filthy clothes. And he has dressed us in his own righteousness. Your armor is not made out of steel. It's not chain mail. It's certainly not your righteousness. It is the perfections of Christ given to you and received as a gift. And if you are going to stand against the devil's schemes to not be taken in by his lies, then it will be because you are hidden in him and because you avail yourself of all that you have in him, you are to flourish, to thrive, to believe the truth and not be captivated by lies. Do not let his insidious lies get rooted in your head. Dress yourself in Jesus' own armor, his own righteousness and his truth so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Make yourself aware of the lies that you're believing. Memorize scripture specifically to counteract it and thrive in him. We need to be a healthy body, in particular at moments like this. Lord Jesus, we lift you up. We exalt you. We thank you that you have given us your armor that we might be safe. We love you.